All right. Good morning, Emmaus. It is so good, so good to be back with you. If you would, take your Bible and open to Hebrews chapter 1. Hopefully, over the next few months that we're together, your Bible will just begin to automatically open to the book of Hebrews. Your phone, which always learns from you and listens to you at all kinds of creepy times, it'll just know, like, you love the book of Hebrews. Like, your phone is going your to know that. Like, we're going to go down this road to studying the book of Hebrews together. And I'm just so thankful to be back with you. Uh, if you're a guest of ours, my name is Owen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you hear me saying, I'm back with you, I've been out for, for a few weeks. And so I'd love to meet you. Love to hear more about God's work in your life and tell you more about Emmaus. You can use that card in the seat back in front of you. You can reach out to me anytime. Just come down after the service and would love to talk with you. Last Sunday was the final Sunday of my, my sabbatical, my month-long sabbatical. And I was trying to think, where am I going to go to church? Like, I, I've got this opportunity. I can go to different places. I thought around, where am I going to go to church? I'm going to Emmaus. Like, that's where I want to be. So last Sunday of my sabbatical, I, I'm coming here. Like, these are the people I want to be with. This is, where, this is where I want to be. And so it was so good to be here last Sunday, kind of just as a pseudo-regular guy here, here as a member, and then to be back with you. Uh, the month that I was away, I'd tell you more about this down the road if you, if you wanted to hear it, but uh, the time I was away, I spent a lot of time thinking about the last seven years what would I have done differently if I had a chance to start over? What have I learned? What's kind of got done in my life? And then I also spent a lot of time thinking about the next seven years. In an absolutely terrifying observation, Amanda and I realized when the next time this comes around, seven years from now, we'll be in an empty nest situation. And so we have seven more years. Like this next seven years of life is a really crucial season for us. Like what does this next seven years need to look like? When you think about that, like that's just completely overwhelming at that point. God, how do I navigate the next seven years? And I very clearly, he just said, be faithful for the next seven months. Like we're just going to focus on, like let's just get through this year into two. Well, God, that's totally overwhelming. I can't think about the next seven months. How do I prepare for the next seven months? Be faithful for the next seven weeks. Like let's just go through this summer. Let's just be faithful to what's right in front of us. What if you can't think about seven weeks in front of you? Well, guess what? Just be faithful for the next seven days. God, like this next week that you put in front of us, how can we be faithful this next week? If this next week is too much, seven days is too much, what do you do? The next seven hours. God, you put these seven hours in front of me. Like maybe we can focus on these next seven hours. Sometimes seven hours feels like too much. <laughs> I can't even, can't even think of that. The next seven minutes, like just right here in front of us. And so God took me through this process of, I was worrying about seven years from now, and he said, Owen, be faithful for the next seven minutes, the next seven seconds. Give your focus to me right here. And so as we come together this morning, there's a lot of things going on in our lives. There's a lot of things in your future that probably just feel overwhelming to you that you think about. Here's what I would ask. Let's just right now focus on God's word. We're not, we're not promised tomorrow, we're not promised seven years from now, but what we do have in front of us is an opportunity to come before the Word of God, to gather as the people of God around the table to remember who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and so we are going to give ourselves to that. We're going to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to God's Word. God, speak to us, do something in us that leads us into the next seven hours, seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, leads us into the future, but it has to begin right now. 
And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, starting to verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 4 and pray for us. And then we're really going to focus on the first three verses together this morning. But let's read Hebrews chapter 1. And kudos to the Sunday school class that apparently also decided to study Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. Extra points to you guys for getting the, uh, the start. But here we go. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Father, we come together this morning for prayer and encouragement and fellowship and conversation, to sing together, to study the Bible together. God, I pray for people who are here this morning, and maybe it's been a while since they've been, been in church, or maybe they're just looking for a place to connect, God, that you would open their hearts to, to your word. God, I pray for us in Emmaus that you would use the book of Hebrews to strengthen our faith. God, let us never fall away from following Jesus. God, let us never leave our Savior and our Lord. Let us continue to move forward into the future. We want to be faithful today. <laughs> We've got a lot coming this week. We have a lot coming this summer. We have a lot in the years ahead. But God, use the book of Hebrews to deepen our faith and give us endurance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, I went to a workshop about the book of Hebrews, and the presenter at this workshop was a man named Herschel York, who is a seminary professor and, and pastor, and, and Dr. York was telling the story about going to preach a revival when he was a young pastor, and he went to preach a revival at a small town in the southern part of Arkansas, in a town that had dealt with a ton of racism and difficulty, and he, he goes into this church, and he realizes there's something wrong in the church. Something's not, not well there. And so he talks to the young pastor afterward and finds out from the pastor that he's in a battle with some of the deacons and other leaders in the church about whether or not they should reach out to people in the community who are black, who don't look like them. And the pastor is having to fight this battle, fight this battle for the gospel, for the good of the church. And, and he's in a really hard place. And so Dr. York talked about meeting this pastor. And then he found out later that this pastor and his family had gone to Japan as missionaries. They had gone to another part of the world, a very difficult part of the world in a lot of ways, to, to share the gospel and share about Jesus. And they had gone to Japan, and they were on the front lines of seeing the church grow in Japan. And then Dr. York, I, I thought at this point in the workshop, I was like, man, this guy's about to come out. Like, he's about to introduce this guy, and we're going to meet this guy. And then Dr. York said, and, and this gentleman now, he is a Druid priest. He, he's a, a pagan teacher. He leads a group of people who gather around these pagan ideas. He's completely turned his life away from Jesus. A pastor, giving his life on the front lines of the gospel, fighting against racism. A pastor who is sharing the gospel in some of the hardest places around the world. And now he has nothing to do with Jesus. We start to think about our lives. You may know people in your life 
They served in the church. They were active in your youth group back in the day. They were committed to the Lord, it seemed. And now they want nothing to do with faith. They've turned against Jesus. They've turned against his people, against his way, against his church. A lot of times, we see this happen with kids as they transition from, from high school into college. They're like, yeah, that was for my parents. I was going to church because I had to, but I was really never into it. And they just turn, they turn away from Jesus. You also see this same thing happening later in life, especially as people enter an empty nest phase. And we talk about parents, or we talk about kids having their parents' faith. Sometimes parents have been relying on their kids' faith. And when the kids are out of the home, you see people turning against the Lord, turning away from, from Jesus. We live in a world where a lot of people are beginning to do this, where you see this accelerating as people are turning their backs on Jesus, they're backing away from belief, they're turning away from the church, and they're going their own way. And into that world steps the book of Hebrews. I have been waiting for a long time to study this book together with you. This has been something I've been looking forward to for, for a long time. When I was in seminary, uh, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the book of Hebrews, and I was so overwhelmed with the material, I was like, it's going to be years before I can preach that. <laughs> like, and so since I finished uh, the PhD program like 10 years ago, I've never preached through Hebrews for any church that I've been a part of, but I have been looking forward to this with you because of what this book is. This book, uh, the book of Hebrews in your Bible, it represents so much of what we are as a church here at Emmaus, so much of what we love. When you go through the book of Hebrews, you're going to have to go back to your Old Testament over and over and over again. This book, more than probably almost any book in the entire Bible, ties together the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I hope this book is a reminder to you for how much we as a church love God's Word. Seeing the way the pieces connect together, the way the beginning of the Bible connects to the end of the Bible, the way all the counsel of God's Word points us toward Jesus. It's also a book in the Bible where... The doctrine, the teaching in the book is meant to drive action. So the book, the, the book is designed toward exhorting the people, urging the people to live in a particular way. And the way it does that is by teaching this doctrine. And man, that's Emmaus. Like, that's who we want to be. We want to be a church that values God's word. Like, doctrine and teaching matters. And if you don't think doctrine and teaching matters, you haven't been to any of our elementary Sunday school classes. <laughs> like, these kids learn the Bible. They know what it is to understand the work of God in their lives and the work of God in Scripture. We value that, but we also value putting our faith into action. It's not just belief, it's not just doctrine, but it's going to live it out. Because we live in a world where some people, it's all about the doctrine, and then you never do anything with it. And you use that doctrine to hurt other people. Other churches, it's like, let's just be nice to everybody. Let's just do good in the world. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Friends, the book of Hebrews says what you believe and what you do are meant to go together, are meant to drive one another. And so this book, it deepens our beliefs, our understanding about the Lord for the whole purpose of then that impacts the way I live in the world. Now, what we don't know about the book of Hebrews is who wrote it. So you look in your New Testament, and there's different comments in certain books about who wrote books. Luke wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Hebrews, if somebody confidently tells you they know who wrote the book of Hebrews, just give them a little pat on the back and say, good for you, because they, they don't. We, we just don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, historically, 
The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, has been connected to Hebrews. I can tell you Paul probably did not write Hebrews. Now, don't throw anything at me if that's really what you believe, but uh, I, I don't think, there's a lot of reasons why I don't think Paul wrote, wrote Hebrews. Uh, Luke, who wrote some of the New Testament, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in the New Testament, a lot of people think Luke wrote Hebrews. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't think that's a, the strongest of arguments. There's a couple of people mentioned in the New Testament, like Barnabas or Apollos that you read about in the book of Acts. Those are really strong arguments for, for Hebrews. At the end of the day, we just don't know who wrote Hebrews. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, comes to us as a sermon. It's presented to us as a sermon that a little bit is tacked onto the end so it can be sent out as a letter. And you're like, well, how do we know it's a sermon? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. You can either turn to the very end of the book in your own Bible. I've just got it up in front of you so you can see, because we're going to focus on chapter 1, but I wanted you to see this as we started out. Hebrews 13, 22. At the very end, the author says, I appeal to you. Appeal to is the New Testament word for encourage. It's the same word that's used throughout the New Testament to encourage someone. I appeal to you, I encourage you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, my word of encouragement. This is the same term that's used in the book of Acts to refer to when a sermon was given before the people, when the word of God was presented to the people. I want you to encourage the brothers to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Now, if I could just take a little pastoral moment here to point out the word briefly up there. Uh, it takes about 45 minutes to go through the book of Hebrews. So I would like you to know that biblically, 45 minutes is a brief sermon. Just saying. So if I come in under 45 minutes, you're like, Pastor, thank you for that brief sermon. That was, that was fantastic. You know, and anything over 45 minutes is just a little longer than brief. Like, it's not brief. but So he's written to you briefly a 45-minute sermon that's been presented to the church here. For what purpose? For what purpose? It is a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation. Now, I know I overused this illustration, but it has been so helpful to me in my life. I want to remind you of it. The word encourage in the New Testament kind of has two sides to it. It is the word for comfort, so arm around the shoulder, I care for you, I'm comforting you. And it's also the word for challenge, hand in the back, pushing you forward. So he has written to them, he's presented them a sermon that's supposed to do two things. It's supposed to comfort them, to remind them, I care for you. My arm, I got my arm around your shoulder. I care for you and what you're facing. It's also meant to challenge them. Hey, you better keep moving forward. <laughs> like we're not staying here. We're not going anywhere else. We're going to continue to move forward. Why does this word of encouragement need to be given? Why does he need to give this word? It's because some of the people in the church have begin, begun to turn away from relying solely on Jesus for salvation. Now, in the, in the time of the New Testament, what seems like is happening is these people who had begun to follow Jesus, begun to trust in Jesus for salvation, they've started to go back and rely on some of the Jewish rituals that they had learned and they come out of. And so, yeah, they believe in Jesus, but man, we still need to do these sacrifices all the time. Or we still need to be going to the temple, or we still need to be relying on the works of the law. So they had been pushing toward Jesus 
But now they're starting to revert back from what they had come out of. I mean, think about what that looks like in our own world. People who you know who have begun to follow Jesus, like they're fascinated by Jesus, they're fascinated by what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be connected to the church, and they begin to go down that road. And then a few months later, a few years later, they've gone right back to what they came from. And the book of Hebrews is meant to say, keep going to Jesus. Don't revert. Don't go back to what you came from. And there are some people in the church that they're not going back to what they came from. Well, they're also tipsy like that, apparently. But they're not going back to what they came from. They're starting to go to the side and chase after things of the world. They're like, Jesus, that was good for a while, but I'm going to go over here. I don't really know if I believe anymore. Why are they doing this? Like, why are they not following Jesus? Well, the main reason is they're getting a lot of social pressure. It seems like the church here that is being written to, they're being persecuted, but the persecution hasn't reached like a level 9 or 10. Um, It's going up. They're facing opposition. They're facing persecution. And this is a good word for us because we have to be so careful as the church in America that we don't misuse the word persecution. Sometimes we say we're being persecuted, when we need to look around at what's happening to our brothers and sisters around the world to see what true persecution really looks like. But, but as a follower of Jesus, you can face some social pressure. You can be shamed, you can be embarrassed, you can be dishonored, and, and it, it begins to take you away from people. And after a while, you're like, you know what? I just don't know if that's worth it anymore. Like, I, I, I'm just not sure that I'm devoted to Jesus anymore. And the author of Hebrews comes along and says, don't give up. Keep going. This is why we've entitled the sermon series, Jesus or Bust. You go back to the uh, 1930s, time of the Great Depression. People are looking for a way to make money. They're looking for a way to get away. And they're trying to go to California, which the exact opposite is happening now. We're like getting the reverse of this. But uh, at this time, people are trying to go, go toward California. And so they might have California or bust. Or even in the time of the, uh, the gold rush, Pikes Peak, Pikes Peak or bust. Like you, you're like, I am committed to this. I'm going this direction no matter what. Friends, that's what the author of Hebrews is telling you. The author of Hebrews is telling you there is no plan B. There is no turning back. Life and salvation are found in Jesus. Do not stop following him. It's Jesus or bust. He is our only hope for life. He is our only hope for salvation. And we are going to give our lives to following after him no matter what. And in this letter, the author will use warnings. He's going to use scripture He's going to use comfort. He's going to use whatever he can to help you keep going. In a world that's chaotic, in a world that feels like it's falling apart, in a world where it's no longer maybe as cool as it once was to be associated with Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, focus on him and keep going. So this morning, we have to ask ourselves, how does he start his sermon? How does he start his sermon to get us going in the correct direction. I want to show you the way it starts. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. How does he get us focused in the right direction? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, 
he has spoken to us by his son. He reminds them from the very beginning that God has spoken to you, that God has spoken into this world, that God is there and he is not silent. He has spoken to you at some time in your life. You have heard the word of God and received it by faith, and he says, keep listening. Keep remembering that God has spoken to you. I've got an encouragement for you. Here's something we're going to try to do as a church. Let me encourage you to memorize Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Okay? So we're going to work on this throughout the summer. You don't have to memorize it all at one time. We're going to work on this on Sunday morning, work on it during the week. Students, get creative. Put it on your phone somehow. Make something that you can put in front of you in your room. Uh, wherever it works for you. As a church, let's try this summer to memorize Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That you're just thinking about this over and over and over again. That, that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. How, how powerful is that? That we serve a God. Where does the speaking of God begin? It begins at creation. <laughs> that God spoke from the very beginning. That as he spoke, he created. He created all things. That God spoke to us in so many ways through those long lists in your Bible that you want to skip over because you're like, why is there a long list of names right here? God spoke through poetry. God spoke through prophecy. God spoke through these historical events and stories. God is a God who speaks to his people. But to get the full impact of this verse, you need to see it side by side to see what's going on here. So I, I've made a chart up here because I want you to see what's happening in this verse. He is setting up a connection and a contrast between how God has spoken in the past and how he has spoken now. So it says here, long ago, at many times and in many ways. So this is pushing back to how God has spoken. Now remember, the Old Testament and the New Testament in your Bible, they are not in competition with one another. This is not a matter, this is not a matter of contrast. This is a matter of continuity that is continuing. It's fulfilling what has happened. But he says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke. But in these last days, you see the contrast? The contrast is between how God began to speak and how God is speaking in these last days. Reminder number 2030 from Pastor Owen that the last days did not begin 10 years ago or five years ago or when your favorite Bible prophecy guys said that we're living in the last days. Biblically, theologically, when did the last days begin? They began with Jesus, with the coming of Jesus, with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We have been living in the last days for 2,000 years or so. We live in the last days. Why? Because the fulfillment of Jesus has come. His plans have been brought to fulfillment. God spoke in the past. God has spoken. How did God speak in the past? He spoke to our fathers, to our ancestors. How has God spoken in the last days? He's spoken to us. It's not just that it's been passed down, but he's spoken to us. In the past, how did he speak? He spoke by the prophets. How has God spoken in the last day? He has spoken in his son. In the past, there were multiple prophets who spoke the word of God. In the last days, the son of God brought the final word of God. Now, why does this matter? Why is, why is this a big deal? Because the author of Hebrews is telling you, 
don't go back to trusting only revelation that was given in the past. Don't go back to only how God spoke in the past. If you only rely on that, you're going to miss where all of that was meant to lead. Those of you who like the, um, those of you who like the Bible Project videos or Bible Project podcasts, or I keep pushing that out to you over and over again, it's just these great resources. They talk about how Scripture is a unified story that points to Jesus, that all of Scripture was meant to point us toward Jesus. So if we look back and we only rely on what was given in the Old Testament, we miss where that was meant to lead. And equally, we are not continually searching for divine revelation beyond that given in Jesus. Because we live in a world where people might say, that's really great that you believe in Jesus and read the Bible. Have you heard about this book? <laughs> and have you heard about this new teaching that was given? Have you heard about this new revelation that was given? They're constantly trying to push us beyond the things of Jesus. Uh, I listened to a couple of podcasts recently with Rain Wilson. Um, you're like, I don't know who that is. How about Dwight Schrute? Do you know that name? Uh, so Rain Wilson is uh, the actor who plays Dwight on, on The Office. He is making the rounds now with a new book that he's put out and some podcasts he's doing about the Baha'i faith. So uh, Rain talks a lot, uh, or just, we'll just go with Dwight because that's how you probably know him. But, uh, he talks a lot about the Baha'i faith. If you're not familiar with the Baha'i faith, the Baha'i faith is built on a pattern that God spoke to Abraham. That's awesome. God spoke to Moses. That's really great. God spoke to Jesus. That's really great too. God spoke to Muhammad. That's really great too. God spoke to the Buddha. That's really great too. God has spoken through this new revelation that's been given recently with Baha'u'llu. And there's all these new revelations that are given. Anytime someone is trying to point us beyond or outside the revelation given through Jesus, through the Son of God, all the alarm bells should start going off in your mind. Because how has God spoken? He has spoken to us in his Son. That is his word for the last days. There is no future Savior we are looking for. There is no further revelation that we are seeking. We have been given God's final word in his Son. And you say, well, that's arrogant. How, how could you say that? How can you know that that's true about the Son? I'm glad you asked. Look at the second half of, of verse 2. Who is this Son? What does it say? This son is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So this screen up here, this, this verse, what happens is after the son is introduced in Hebrews chapter 1, you get a list of seven statements about the son. The number seven, big deal in the Bible. The number three is a big deal in the Bible. The number seven, the number 10, the number 40. There are certain numbers in the Bible that just keep showing up over and over again. The number seven, the author of Hebrews really loves the number seven. Uh, so if you're obsessed with the number seven, you've got a friend in the author of Hebrews. But he lays out here seven elements. Why, why seven? It's a number of totality, a number of perfection. It's saying this perfect son who brought the revelation, the word of God, here are seven things I want you to know about him. Before I forget, 
Let me encourage you to do something. In the front of your Bible, students, make a note in your phone, however you want to do this. When we think about who Jesus is, we think about understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. There are four passages in the Bible that if you know them, it'll give you quick places to go. And you can write them in the cover of your Bible. You can share them with people. Here's the four passages you need to know to understand like the character of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 14, or you could really just go 1 through 4 of John, but it's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Get into that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So we're John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. That's that famous hymn that Paul puts there in the book of Philippians. Number 3, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. So in the book of Colossians, that presents this magnificent picture of who Jesus is ruling over all the universe, all the cosmos. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you'll write those down, put those in a note in your phone, write them in the front of your Bible. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. If you missed it, ask a friend or find me after the service. But uh, I want you, to, want you to have those because when we think about who, why, why do we make such a big deal out of Jesus? Why do we say that God spoke in his son in these last days? Well, it says right here, he appointed him the heir of all things. If all things are pointing toward Jesus in the future— if all things will be summed up in Jesus, if one day Jesus will rule over all things, who else are you looking for? How can you look beyond the one who is going to be the heir, who's going to inherit the nations, who's going to be the heir of all things? What, what else do we know? Through him, he created the world. If you can't go back before Jesus, who else are you looking for? He is all of the future and he is all of the past. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who stands over all creation, over all time. Beginning of verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Both of these essentially say the same thing, that when we see Jesus, we see the work of God. When we see Jesus, we see the character of God. The work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, is bringing God into human flesh so we can know him. Look at, the, look at the beginning, or the next part of verse 3. There's three more statements that are given. Middle of verse 3. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Man, what a great phrase. Like, he upholds the universe by, by the word of his power. In a world that sometimes feels like it's falling apart, or you may have said about your life sometime recently, it feels like my life is falling apart. It feels like things are crumbling. What great news it is to know that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And don't just think of like Atlas, you know, holding up the globe. It's not just that. This word for upholding is not just the word for holding it in place. It's the word for carrying something forward, carrying something to completion. The Son of God is the one who makes sure the plans of God always come to completion. And when it feels like your life is falling apart, hold on to that, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What's the next phrase? 
after making purification for sins. Now, the book of Hebrews is going to talk a lot about this, but Jesus is the one who has dealt with the barrier between God and man. He has made it possible for us to be in relationship with God and relationship with one another. He alone is able to deal with your sins. And then this phrase, which should just be something that is such good news for us. It says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus sat down? Because, what did he say on the cross? The cross? He said, it is finished. The work is finished, and he sat down. Who else are you looking for? What else are you seeking after? Because Jesus sat down, you don't have to spend your life trying to get your life together. Because Jesus sat down, there is nothing you can do to take away your sin. Because Jesus sat down, you can rest. You know that feeling at the end of the day? You get home at the end of the day and you tell yourself, I can't sit down because if I sit down, there's no way I'm getting back up. <laughs> like you get home after a long day and you've worked hard and you chase the kids and you're like, sitting down is dangerous at this point because there's probably no getting out of that chair or off that couch once I sit down. But when I can sit down, deep breath, I can rest. Friend, Jesus has sat down for you. He has made possible the forgiveness of your sin. He has destroyed the power of death, and he has sat down. He is the reigning king over the entire universe, and he sits as that exalted king, that exalted savior. He has sat down as the great high priest because there is nothing else that needs to be done to provide forgiveness of sins. He has done it. He has sat down, and you have hope. What else are you seeking after? You know, you think about a group of people that can't take a chance of sitting down at the end of the day, that's VBS volunteers. Like, you want to know tired, you want to know exhausted, just volunteer for vacation Bible school. Like, that'll tell you where your stamina is at in, in life right there. I love VBS. Not only does it let me wear a t-shirt while I'm preaching, I'm always in favor of that, but uh, I just love VBS. I love to see the volunteers, so many volunteers working together see people from their, the community who just love to bring their kids to Emmaus to be a, car, a part of Vacation Bible School, see the kids singing, learning these stories, having fun. This last week, during Vacation Bible School, our kids learned about, actually, I shouldn't give this away. Kids, who was the main Bible character we learned about this last week in VBS? Peter. Good, I heard Peter. And Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer. But uh, <laughs> Peter, we looked at all the stories. Uh, about Peter. One of my favorite stories about Peter, they didn't have enough time to get to in the VBS material, but one of my favorite stories about Peter comes from John chapter 6 in the Bible. In John chapter 6 in the Bible, all these crowds have begun to follow Jesus, and Jesus is teaching some really hard things. He's saying some really hard things, and a lot of the crowd begins to turn away from Jesus. Jesus would not be a good contemporary preacher because he just was not, crowds would come and then he would say something hard and they would all leave and go somewhere else. And so Jesus has these people following him. He says hard things and they begin to leave. And then John chapter 6, verse 67, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to go away as well? Everybody else is leaving. 
you may have thought this in, in your life. You think about your friends from youth group or high school or college or people you see around you, and it looks like everybody is leaving the way of Jesus. You going to go as well? Are, are you going to go as way, away as well? Look at what Peter says. Peter doesn't get a lot right at times in the Bible. He struggles at times, but when he gets it right, he really gets it right. What does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The one who has been appointed heir of all things, all of history is pointing to his completion. The one who was involved in the creation of all things, the one who displays the brightness of God into the world, the one who shows the character of God to us, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the one who made purification for your sins, the one who sat down because it is finished. Who else are you going after? To whom shall we go? He has the words of eternal life. And the book of Hebrews says, keep following Jesus. Don't give up. Keep going. He is worth everything you have to give. What's our response to the book of Hebrews? Number one, if you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, what are you waiting for? Who else are you looking for? He has the words of eternal life. Sometime during this study of the book of Hebrews, I pray that God would so get a, heart of you, a hold of your heart that you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. He provides salvation. He provides eternal life. This book, over the next several months, and when I say next several months, we're aiming at next Easter with Hebrews. Between now and next Easter, I pray that there would be people in our church who have turned away from Jesus, who have said to themselves, you know what, I'm not sure I'm coming back. I think I'm done with faith. I think I'm done with Jesus. I think I'm done with church. I think I'm just done. That God would use his word to turn them back, to bring them back, to say, who else am I going to follow? Who else am I going to give my life to? And the book of Hebrews, you know one of the things it tells us? How do, you, how do you continue to follow Jesus? The word of God is good, but you know who you need? You need friends. <laughs> you need a church. You need people who are walking alongside you, continuing to point you to Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do together at the end of the service. I'm going to invite you, as a church, to respond, to take of the bread, to take of the juice, that we take of these elements together, reminding ourselves this is where our hope is found. So here in just a few minutes, after I pray for us, I'm going to invite you to come, take of these elements. You'll get two cups that are stacked together. you go back to your chair. Wait, and we're going to take of this together, encouraging one another, reminding one another of who Jesus is and what he's done. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, what are you looking for? What are you waiting for? That this would be the morning that you would talk to someone about your desire to be saved, to know Jesus. All right, let me pray for us, and we're going to respond in this act of worship. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that you spoke. If you had not spoken to us, we would be walking through life with no direction, no hope, no peace, but you are there and you are not silent, God. I pray 
God, I pray that as our kids go to Falls Creek and kids camp this summer, God, speak to their hearts. God, I pray for people in our church family who are struggling right now. Maybe they're struggling with faith. Maybe they're struggling with the difficulties of life. God, speak to their hearts. And God, the way you have spoken to us ultimately is in your son Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us so we could be forgiven of sins and have the hope of eternal life. And God, we celebrate that together this morning as a church. Remind us as we take this bread, take this juice, what we are saying together as a church is this is where our hope is found. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 